There is one thing even liberals and conservatives can agree on. We need more effective fathers in the homes of America guiding their children. On today's Truth Encounter, Bob Stanbury, one of Dave Wurtzen's associate pastors at Midlothian Bible Church, shares powerfully and personally about his own dad's influence and then the even greater influence of God's Word. Turn to Deuteronomy 6 and let's join Bob. Over the last month or so, we've been uh, studying about parenting. It's one of my favorite subjects because the only thing I really want to do in this life is be a good father. A good father is my son and a good father, as you guys have made me an elder in this church family. As I've uh, been studying the scriptures that Dave's been teaching us, and as I have been reflecting upon what it means to be a a father, um, I've thought a lot about um, the two sources, the primary sources where I've learned to be a father. The first one is my own earthly parents. Y'all don't don't know my parents at all. They don't travel a lot, and uh, I don't think any of y'all know my parents. But when you see me operate um, and do things around this church family, a lot of it has been greatly influenced um, by the fact of, of, of who they are and what they mean to me. Of course, the other primary source, which we'll get to here in a minute, is um, God's Word. My parents weren't perfect parents. They'd be the first to admit it. But I think they did a great job. I know how much I love them, how much they tried. But the primary source that, uh, in addition to my parents, that I use is the Word of God. And today we're going to look at a passage so that we can better learn how to parent our own kids. But before that, I thought I would take a few minutes to introduce you to my dad. On Wednesday, my dad turns 83. And I'll go down, wish him a happy birthday. I don't know how many opportunities I'll have left to be in his presence, and I just want to be in his presence and tell him how much I love him and how much uh, he means to me and how much he influenced me. So I could go through a whole family album, but I've only chosen eight pictures. (laughs) This is my dad in the early 40s. If you go down to Fredericksburg, outside the Nimitz Hotel and the museum, you'll see this picture of my dad on a wall. Back in 1995, my sisters, I have two older sisters, and I put a plaque together on what's called the Victory Wall. He fought in the war in the Pacific, fought in the Philippines in that area. And so this is the picture we chose to put of my dad on the wall. Now, if you're an Aggie, this is probably one of the most uh, historic pictures uh, you've recognized. If you're not, if you're UT or Texas Tech or any of the other schools, you need to at least to know about your rivals. <laughs> and you know, us Aggies, I'm an Aggie as well, class 81. This is one of the more famous pictures. It's of an Aggie muster. And if you guys know, uh, one of our traditions at A&M is in April of every year, uh, we gather together where we are, wherever we are, and we um, remember those Aggies who have died. And so... Some April in the not-too-distant future, I'll probably go down to College Station, and when the roll is called of the Aggies who are no longer here, when Bob Stanbury's name is called, unless the Lord takes me home first, I'll call his name out. This is an Aggie muster that occurred in 1946, and this is my dad right there. If you know World War II history, uh, the island of Corregidor and the early fighting was a siege that the Allied forces didn't win. Many lost their lives in this tunnel um, where we kept ammunitions and all. But as you know, we ultimately won the war. And in 1946, all the Aggies who were in the Pacific got together at Corregidor to uh, remember the soldiers that lost their life. And my dad has kind of a Forrest Gump 
feature. He's, he's always where, you know, he can used to be out. Forrest Gump always was where he was. Well, he was at the most famous Aggie muster that there was. But he was a soldier in World War II, and it shaped his life greatly, and uh, it shaped my own patriotism, my own love for our country because of his, uh, his fighting for our country. We fast forward 20 years to the early 60s. It's my dad, my two older sisters, and I'm being swallowed by a life preserver. <laughs> my dad and his father uh, got a little cabin on Grand Lake of the Cherokees. I was born in Oklahoma City, and this is Grand Lake of the Cherokees. And my dad loved to ski, and he taught all of his kids he would be out in the water. My mom would drive a little boat with a 40-horsepower motor and pull us up, and, and he would just be treading water while we just went around and around and around. Um, he taught us how to ski. Here is my dad and me when I graduated from Texas A&M. had a lot of hair back then. In 1981, he never forced me to go to A&M. In fact, his two daughters went to Texas. But he was proud that, and he never coerced me. He, I probably got to go to Texas too, but it kind of gets you in your blood. As every good grandfather does in Texas, he teaches their grandchildren how to shoot a gun. And so dad was giving pointers about how to shoot a gun in a sitting prone position. This is dad's clan, if you will. And those are his grandchildren, his six grandchildren. This is my um, mom and dad about two years ago. <laughs> They're just incredible people. Um, and I love them to death. Uh, my dad had a stroke two years ago, and uh, he's been bedridden ever since. His mind, I, when people ask me about him, a lot of you guys ask me about my dad because I go down about every six weeks to see him or so. And he's still there, but his mind just gradually is de decreasing. I'd say it's about 60% of there. So he's on his latter, latter stages of life. But the next picture is the picture of my dad that I cherish the most. The title of this is, A Little Fellow Follows Me. It's really not my dad and I. But here's the picture. A friend of, of dad's, um, he saw that Grand Lake of the Cherokee. Uh, I think Dad and I had a hat like this. I used to like wearing hats, and he wore hats. So I think we had one of those, these captain's hats together. And I think someone just gave him this picture. It's not really of Dad and I. But he framed it, and he kept it in his office. And a couple of years ago, he gave it to me. And someday, if it doesn't get burned up or stolen or disintegrate, I'll pass it on to Daniel. But this is the picture that I most cherish of my dad. Because as any son does, he loves his dad. And he wants to be just like him. I wanted to be just like my dad. My dad wasn't perfect, but I knew he loved me. He spent hours and hours with me. And uh, we just enjoyed being together. So my dad shaped who I am in incredible ways. And I think he, as much as anybody, I didn't know if my dad was a believer until about three years ago. At age 79 or 80, I was going, you know, Stanberry, when are you going to talk to him? I'm not that I haven't ever talked to him. I've talked to him many times. But I wasn't sure. He, didn't talk, he doesn't talk the, the faith language like I talk the faith language, if you will. So I prayed for him for about a year. I prayed for my dad consistently. And, uh, and the Lord blessed us uh, um, I needed to get home one Easter, and this church family is so gracious. You know, most pastors, the one day you need to be there is Easter, right? But they let me go home, be with my dad. And I was able to uh, spend that morning with my dad and my mom and just ask them, 
So give me your testimonies. How did you come to the Lord Jesus? And my mom and my dad shared with me how they did. And really for the first time, I really, the Lord allowed me to come to really believe that my, my father did have an understanding of Jesus Christ was, uh, that we would be spending eternity together, which was clearly my desire. So there are some things that um, dad didn't teach me. <laughs> didn't, he didn't teach me this book. But I came to find that the Lord, our Heavenly Father, used my dad in powerful ways to draw me to himself. And now it's my responsibility, as dad would want me to be, to be a better father than he was, just as my desire is for my son Daniel to be a better father than I am. So today what I want to do is I want us to turn to my favorite passage that the Lord's um, used in my life about how I am to father my own son Daniel. And that passage is in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's going to teach us that to be a good parent, you have to love your children and that you need to teach the truths of the Lord in all that you do. Now, as I've been studying Deuteronomy the last uh, several weeks or so, I've been studying my own personal time in the New Testament for a real long time. And when I got back into Deuteronomy, I was just amazed like once again, of, of the graciousness of the Father that comes through. I think most of us think that there's almost two gods. There's the Old Testament God who was angry and wrathful and uh, defeated his enemies and all those things. And there's this New Testament lovey-dovey God, this Jesus and, and graciousness and intimacy. But you see throughout the whole Bible, God is the same today um, as he was yesterday. And forever and ever, ever, he will be the same, just as the, the Word says. And in Deuteronomy... The first point I want to talk about is the fact that he is a gracious God. In fact, in your bulletin, you know, Mother Mary puts grace notes in our bulletins. If you ever notice those, you ought to read those. And this one is, you can run, but you cannot hide. God's unfailing love will seek you out and find you. And that comes from Deuteronomy 4.31. So let's read Deuteronomy 4.31, or I'll just read it to you. You can stay Deuteronomy 6 if you want. Deuteronomy 4.31 says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. What a great passage that shows God's mercy and grace, even to the nation of Israel and the nations surrounding there. The other one I wanted to point out is in, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. And it says, the Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. God is a God of love, and he created a covenant of love, and he created a covenant of love with Israel. If we think about Deuteronomy and the the setting of it, you have the nation of Israel. Forty years earlier, they had been powerfully taken out of their enslavement in Egypt, by the mighty hand of God. It was not because of anything they had, any of their might or power, not because they have done anything, 
that they deserved necessarily, but because of God's grace and his mercy, because of his mighty hand and his mighty power, he freed them from slavery and had promised to their forefathers Abraham and all that he would give them a promised land. They were to go directly into the promised land, but if you remember the story, the spies went and they feared the giants in the land more than they feared their God. And so uh, they came back and, and were frightened and didn't say, we can't do this. So the Lord punished them because he wanted to teach them that you need to trust in me, not in uh, the giants of the land or be fearful of the giants of the land. So they wandered for 40 years. They had been given the Ten Commandments and they had been given the law of Moses. But before, so 40 years have passed and here we are in the last month of Moses' life he was about 120 years at this point. They're on the plains of Moab right across from Jericho. And once again, in Deuteronomy, it's kind of called a covenant renewal text, the book of Deuteronomy is. God is renewing his covenant once again to this new generation. Those who had disobeyed the Lord had wandered for 40 years with him, and God had provided for them during those 40 years everything they needed, the food, the clothing, and all. But they were not going to be allowed to go in. So now we have a new generation, and God is having Moses once again reconfirm that covenant with this new generation and teach that new generation again what they are to know. So in the immediate chapter before this one, Deuteronomy 5, once again we read the Ten Commandments, and we read what God is having Moses teach them. And that's where I want to pick up and spend our time this morning, in Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. Let me read those to you. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We see in the first three verses the first thing that the Lord desires us to do. He desires us to fear him. Now again, most of us don't like this word fear. We love hearing more about love and grace and intimacy. But the idea of fear here is the idea of reverence, honoring the Lord, being awestruck over the, over the Lord. I just so appreciate our, our worship. I just, it just seems like each week it continues to get better and better and better. And, and for me, what I really appreciate is I, I sense that we're growing in our worship of the Lord, that real, in our celebration of it, that reverence of the Lord, that desire to honor him and to recognize that he is holy, 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 and that we need to fall down and adore him for he is worthy of that. That is what fearing the Lord is about. You know, I was looking at um, 
there are a lot of great verses about the fear of the Lord. And so let me just, Proverbs, and I think Dave's going to be teaching us in Proverbs as he continues this parenting series a lot. But I just want you to see some of the verses in Proverbs and other places that talk about the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 8. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 10. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Proverbs 14. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Proverbs 15. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 16. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. Proverbs 19. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by troubles. Psalm 19, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And then in the New Testament, 1 Peter 1. But just as he who called you to be holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. I think I shared briefly at the funeral the last conversation I had with Hans about six hours before he went home to be the Lord. We at staff had been praying for marriages and talking about some of our marriages that were in, in distress. And Hans was sharing about how much Judy and Amy had sharpened him to become more the man of God. Marriage has that way. When our marriages... There are sometimes sparks, but they should be to sharpen us. And Hans was just sharing how Judy and, and the girls, as we've been a parent, our kids really show us who we really are. I know Daniel has for me. And, and, and the areas that I need to grow in to be more like Jesus, to be more like the Lord. And Hans was saying, you know, I really hope we're teaching our church family not to live for, for just temporal things, but to live for those eternal things. And he started talking about 2 Corinthians 5, one of the passages that we often use in funerals, about um, when we're away from our bodies, we're at home with the Lord. Verse 10 says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and get the rewards that are due us, either good or bad. I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I fear the Lord at one level. I'm not afraid of the Lord, but I fear the Lord and I know there's at least three ways that I'm going to stand before the Lord. One are just the, the actions that I do individual, and I'll be accountable for all of those actions. Two, I'm going to stand before the Lord on behalf of my family, the Stanberry family. And I think the Lord's going to ask me, how were you as a husband to Marilyn and as a father to Daniel? And the third way, since you guys made me elder, I'm going to stand with my other elders for the Lord. How did you manage? How did you father? How did you elder Midlothian Bible Church? I take all of those very seriously because I'm going to stand for the Lord. I think my earthly father taught me a lot. My dad being a soldier and being the man of the World War II generation, there was respect in my household. I can only remember three times being disciplined by my father. 
because I didn't want to be disciplined anymore <laughs> after three times. I had a respectful fear of my earthly dad. And that has translated to an easy understanding of a respectful fear for my heavenly father. I'm not afraid of my earthly dad. And I'm not afraid of my heavenly father. And when I say I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it motivates me to do right. But, it, but I'm not afraid of that. In fact, I look forward to that day. And I just pray and hope that I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, my son. And that is what I'm living life to hear. The Lord, when he talked about fearing him, the reason he said, fear me, is so that you can enjoy a long life and so that it will go well with you in the land that I have promised to your fathers. Fearing the Lord is a good thing. There's an illustration about a school that was on a highway, a busy highway. And the kindergartners would go out and play, but they'd stay up close to the building. They would never venture too close to that busy highway where all the cars were going by. One day, they decided to put a fence right up to that highway. And so they put that fence in that playground all the way up to the highway. And at that point, all the kindergartners just went out and played over that whole kindergarten playground because they knew that that was the boundary. They knew that there was safety going up to that fence. So in essence, having those boundaries in place was a freedom for those kids to be able to play in more area. That's the same thing. The Lord, in here, the Lord gave the Ten Commandments right before this chapter. Not as a God who, you've got to do it this way, because he loves them. And he wanted them to enjoy life and to be blessed in the land that they were going into. My dad didn't discipline me because he hated me, but he disciplined me because he loved me. In Proverbs 13, 24, it says, you know, we usually say, spare the rod, spare the rod spoil the child. But the, the verse goes, he who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves his son disciplines him carefully. We need to discipline our children carefully. And I want to side note that because I know this is one of my father's weaknesses and can be one of my weaknesses. You know, Dave made a joke one time I was doing the announcements because Dave was teaching on Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and I said, these are two of, my, of Daniel's and mine's most favorite verses. Mine is 6, 1, which says, Children, obey your parents. For this is right. And Daniel's is, verse 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but train them up in the instruction of the Lord. Okay. We dads, and, and my dad had this short falling, and I had that tendency, tend to be angry at times, and discipline out of anger. That is wrong. And there have been a time or two I've had to go apologize to Daniel, because I wasn't disciplining him with the right motivation. And my earthly father as I do the same love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength now in um, Israel even even today that verse 4 and following is, is called the Shema that's another characteristic that when I became a believer it was easy because of my earthly father doing it really well in my opinion 
My father loved me. I didn't do anything to earn that love. He just wanted a son. He had me, and he poured his, his life into me. He showed that he loved me and his wife and his kids in a lot of ways. First way was when I was seven, he gave up drinking. My father was an alcoholic until I was seven. It almost cost him his marriage and cost him his three kids. But he chose us over alcohol. And I am so eternally grateful that he made that choice. And it set the destiny for his kids, really, I think. So every July 4th, we say he has two birthdays. One's July 4th, we celebrate his AA birthday in 1966. So he's been sober 38 years now. So that was the first way that he showed me that he, he loved me in a great way. He was a salesman, um, and he could tell a good tale. But uh, during those years, sometimes they were dry years living on, on commission. But he and my mom went and bought a house in um, Houston, probably one they couldn't afford. No, they, they couldn't, but they wanted to get us in a good neighborhood with good educational capabilities. And so uh, these aren't stories they tell themselves. You hear them when you're 20 or 30 or something. But there were many weeks that my dad would go on the road and he'd eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all week and uh, sleep in flea-bitten cheap hotels just so we could have and live in the neighborhood uh, that we lived in. Dad loved sports, and um, Dad always went outside and played sports with me. He was the assistant coaches on my teams. He never pressured me, never stressed me out about my abilities or whatnot. When it was time for me to quit, he didn't have a problem with that. But that was a common bond and a common way that he showed his love for me. He spent all the time that he could with me. Every year, he took a week's vacation. We didn't really take family, family vacations, but he took me out a week every year between Christmas and New Year's to go deer hunting. And those are my fondest memories. on a deer lease and had a World War II Jeep and he'd let me drive before I had um, a driver's license and just great memories with my dad. But he was always proud of me. Um, when I graduated from A&M, you could see the smile on his face. Um, so I knew I was greatly loved. So when I found out that there was a Heavenly Father who loved me, um, it just... You know, it blew me away even more. But it was so easy to, to know that um, I have a Father in Heaven who loves me as well. And just like my earthly father showed that he loved me, our Heavenly Father shows us that he loves each one of us. And I just think of a couple of verses, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son will graciously give you all, th all things also. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor any other thing of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Powerful verses. So oftentimes, I mean, you know, I've been a believer 30 some odd years now. Just, you just run through those things. But really grasp that truth. 
the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father loves us that much. And when you're loved that much by someone, it's really easy to love them wholeheartedly. This command, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It is easy to love the Lord with that type of thing if you really understand how much the Lord loves you. And as a parent, we want to be able to love our children in that way as well. And so the Lord then goes on in verse 6 to tell us, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The Lord wants us to continue to teach our children about him. But we can't teach our children if we don't know his word. Verse 6 says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. If his commands aren't upon your hearts, if you don't know them, and if you don't obey them, then you're not going to really be able to fully love the Lord your God. And you're not going to be able to teach them to your children. 1 John 5 says, This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Soon after Moses wrote this this book, he died. We're within a month of his death here when we're reading this passage here. And Joshua was the next one in line to take over the leadership of Israel. And God had made it clear that Joshua was the successor. But in the first chapter of Joshua, God clearly tells Joshua to do as his servant Moses had done. And he said, this book of the law, let it not depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, being careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will be successful. As parents, if we're not studying God's word, if we're not developing an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can't pass that along to our own kids. Verse 7 says, We're to impress them, these commandments, on your children. The idea of impressing it upon them is to teach them diligently God's commands. The imagery back then was to take a, a scribe and to, to uh, like a knife and to cut it into stone. That's how we're to impress those things into our own children. We're to teach them. But it's not just necessarily family devotional time at night. That is great, and I really encourage you to do that. We have done it on and off. I would not stand up here and say we are a nightly devotional type of family. We have read, and we do continue to read, and most nights, God's Word to Daniel um, in various books. We're currently using a book that my grandmother gave to my mother, who read to us, who now we're reading to Daniel, a book written in the 1930s um, that are basically just a a children's way of, of doing the Bible story. But we're to talk about his commands when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You know, when I think about my father uh, and what he taught me, most of what he taught me, he taught me by modeling these things. Let me just name a couple of them. First one, he taught me how to sing. Most of you who went gone to Timbo's Diner, 
last couple of years. I think he didn't do a very good job. <laughs> but my dad taught me how to sing. Now, he never heard me preach. But if he was sitting here right now, he'd probably be asleep right over there somewhere. But during the worship time, the singing time, he stood up and he had a deep bass voice. And he would sing. And I thought it was so cool that my dad was singing in church. And I've, I've gotten Tom and all the folks are teaching me more how to worship, but I've always sung. And it's always should be because I'm worshiping the Lord. But a secondary reason is because I want Daniel to hear me to sing. I want him to hear my voice like I heard my dad's voice. Worshiping the Lord. I already told you how my dad sacrificed for his family. And so he's modeled that for me, and I try to do that a little myself. My dad taught me the value of hard work. Uh, he'd go to work at 5.30 or 6 in the morning and get home at 7 or so as a salesman. Um, but, uh, but then it was family time, and he was then with us. And on weekends, um, I can't ever remember him. I'm sure he did. He was a salesman. He traveled a lot. I know he did. But in my mind, he was at every baseball game, every football game I ever played, and practically every practice. And so he modeled that for me, and he modeled hard work and has instilled in me a good work ethic. And he expected me to have one. He expected me to respect authority. I already told you he was a military man, so I respected him, and I respect authority. Yes, sir, yes, ma'am. That's what it's about. And... Um, and he instilled that in me, and I'm trying to instill that in Daniel as well. Promptness. We're not known for that here, but uh, I try to be at the, my meetings on time. My dad and a football coach back in the Vince Lombardi days said, Vince Lombardi says, if you're not there 15 minutes early, you're late for practice. That's just got instilled in me, and I flex with you guys some now, but, um, <laughs> but uh, that's my standard. Leadership style. My dad was a man who worked and appreciated the troops, if you will, when he was a, you know, a lieutenant, retired as a captain. He wasn't one of those guys who just told you what to do. But he got in there and did it with you. And um, I tried to emulate that leadership style. It's clearly the one that Jesus taught, being a servant leader. Not lording it over them, but shepherding them. Discipling men. Uh, my dad went on to an AA to sponsor and help many men become sober. And if you know AA, you know, it's, um, it's the Lord as you understand him, and that was some of the issues that we discussed. But, what I, but one time I was kind of, in a sense, in my own mind, was upset with him. It's like, but they need to know Jesus. And he goes, I'm just trying to get them sober. <laughs> and then the Lord convicted me uh, because at that point I hadn't discipled any men. 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, you know, train these to faithful men that they might be able to train others also. My dad has a cadre of men who would say they owe their life to him because just like him, they were on a road to destruction. But he helped them get over their drinking problem. And, uh, and so now as a pastor, one of my great joys and privileges and desires is to help men really follow the Lord Jesus. And that's really due to my earthly father. Again, as this is plays itself out as the Lord wants us to, how he wants us to be the best parents. It's to model that on a daily basis. So, you know, Daniel has the, sometimes the unfortunate privilege of, of being a pastor's son. 
So when the Astros lose on Thursday night and his mom is teaching him about home field advantage, then he hears a sermon from my dad from Hebrews 11 and 12, which talks about the great faith chapter and how all those people who have gone before us, the Abrahams, the Noahs, the Moseses, are like the spectators in the stands as you get to Hebrew 12. And in Awanas, we have a sports theme, so our verse this year is, uh, let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's how we teach our kids. You can see it in real life in an Astros game, but let's talk about it from a spiritual sense. Daniel and I have watched the nightly news since he was six or seven years old, 5.30. Marilyn has to kind of work dinner around 5.30 to 6 all the time because... You know, Daniel and I love watching the national news. Part of it's being a missions pastor and just having a love for the world and desiring to know what's going on and to pray for the situations in the world. But it gives me a great opportunity with Daniel to watch the news and explain how things happen from a biblical standpoint rather than from the nightly news standpoint all the time. Stan Bauckham, I think, gave... Daniel, his first job this past Monday night as a parking lot attendant. Uh, He was having a function at his house, and you guys know Daniel helped park cars here last spring. And uh, so he got paid at Stan's house. But on the way over there, we just prayed together and asked that Daniel could do that well, that he could um, honor those who were coming into Stan's house, that, you know, he could do a good job. Just another opportunity as a dad to use those moments Every soccer game, Daniel and I go to together, and and a lot of the practices, we pray before his soccer game. We pray about the same prayer every time. Lord, help all the boys stay safe. Help them to do the best that they can and, and have a lot of fun. Help him and I to be testimonies to you the way we play and the way we are on the sidelines and be a real testimony of, of your grace there in that field. We need to pray a little bit more about winning. Um, we don't, I, I've, ex, I've excluded that one. <laughs> but it's really not about that that I want him to learn. And so we pray that. That's what it means. I mean, you guys know this is not rocket science. But as we go throughout our weeks and our days, looking for those teachable moments, those moments that we direct them back to Jesus. It's all about being a father who obeys and trusts, fears the Lord, loves the God with our whole heart, and models that in daily life. Marilyn, periodically, she'll buy me some cologne. This one is called Preferred Stock. I need a lot more than this to become that. But this is the one I choose on a daily basis. Old Spice. I wear Old Spice because my dad wore Old Spice. He modeled what cologne he used day in, day out. I used to do it because he did it. Do you know, now every morning, first thing, I get to put this on, and I smell my dad. The Lord's going to take him home soon. Someday I'm going to join him. But until then, I haven't been in his house for 27 years now. I get to smell him. I love the way my dad smells. I love the Lord the same way because my earthly dad helped direct me to him. And every morning, right before or right after I put on my aftershave, 
I love getting a cup of coffee and sitting down with my Heavenly Father, studying His Word, and renewing my commitment to Him. And then when Daniel wakes up, sometimes he gets to see me and Marilyn read our Bibles together. He started reading his Bible now together. And all I can hope and pray as a parent is that Daniel will love the Lord as much as his, as his parents do. That's Daniel's choice. All I can do is model a life that is honoring God before him. Father, I just thank you so much. I thank you for my dad. You know how much he means to me. You know how much you used him in my own life to help me become the man that I have become. Father, I'm certainly not perfect. My dad wasn't perfect. But I do desire that you would help me to become more like you every day. Lord, I pray for all the fathers and moms out here who are trying to be the best parents they can be. Father, help them to really fall deeply in love with you, to love and live their whole lives in honor to you, and to model that for their kids, Lord. And then we pray for our children and our community's children and the world's children, Lord, that more and more all would come to know you, for you are the greatest father of all. And we just praise you today, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.